Southwest Virginia has been the home of many notable African-Americans. Among the many are an ambassador, a groundbreaking doctor, several local elected leaders, and some college presidents. Dr. Jerry Jones, one of those distinguished African-Americans from this region, is compiling a history of these accomplished individuals. Jones is a retired Emory & Henry professor and the author of Go and Come Again, a book about segregation in Washington County. He joins us today to talk about his research of accomplished African-Americans. We also will discuss trends in black population and race relations in the region. Dr. Jones joins me in the studio today. Welcome back to the show, Jerry. Thank you. Jerry, you are compiling a list of notable African-Americans from Southwest Virginia. I want to talk about some of the people on the list, but first I want to know a little bit about what inspired you to start assembling this list. Well, it all happened as I started working on my next book, I guess you would call it, uh, the one that sort of summarizes my 50-plus years of being an educator and my 20-some years of being back in this region. And some of the names just sort of kept, stayed in my mind. And I said, well, I know about these folks, but other people need to know about them too. Black, white, young, and old, uh, through no fault of their own, they would not necessarily know that a number of African-Americans grew up here, were born here, grew up here, may have moved to other places, but still had connections to this region. They made names for themselves, and I wanted people to know about that. And it is Black History Month this month, and WHC is featuring several of the people on your list in some PSAs in celebration of Black History Month. I think you said there's also a website that was created by a local church That's that, that has this list. What is your ultimate goal with collecting these names and, and talking about what they've done? Well, the goal is not very specific. It's simply a matter of people being able to have conversations about people who have connections to this region, the things they did, the places they went to, the colleges they attended, the degrees which they had, the jobs that they had. Uh, most, most areas have that uh, ability, but our region is a little different in that uh, our minority population today is so slim that many people just go with the assumption that it's always been slim, that there was really no one here that actually accomplished anything. Uh, people come here and stay a year or two and go somewhere else. So it's just a matter of being aware of what this region has been and, to my thinking, might to some extent come again. It's interesting because you're from Glade Spring, right. which used to have a very strong African-American population. I think it wasn't too long ago then it was estimated at something like 50 percent of Glade Spring well, residents. Well, were. it was high. I don't know exactly what percent, but you're exactly right. Even in my day, I grew up in the 1950s, and in my childhood and even into high school, the numbers were significantly greater than what we see today. And it's not just a, a racial reason for people leaving this region. It was just economics in general. 
and something about being a young person wanting to go and to explore other places, other avenues, and whatnot. So there are a variety of reasons why this region has lost so many. And by the way, a lot of white uh, residents have lost, left the region as well, mainly because of job seeking and the like. Let's talk about some of those people from Glade Spring because there's a lot of those on your list. And that's because of where you're from, but also I think because of that relatively large African-American population there that once was. One of those notables that you have on your list was an ambassador to Nigeria. Yes. Talk a little bit about who that was. I had to set up the stage of when I first met this gentleman. I went to college in Petersburg, a Virginia State College University now, referred to these days as an HBCU, Historical Black College University. And I was a senior, and at the Virginia State back in the 60s, we had something on our campus that was comparable to the Lyceums that they have here at Emory. Uh, you went to this event and you got credit for going and it, the credit applied toward your graduation, et cetera, et cetera. So this particular night, it was probably the spring of 1968 or maybe the fall of 68. Uh, we were going to a lyceum, let's call it that, uh, and the topic was going to be the uh, Vietnam War. And a gentleman came down from D.C., he was working in the federal government. I didn't know exactly what his position was at the time. Very tall, very distinguished African-American gentleman. I guess he may have been in his 40s at the time, certainly not much more than that. And in the introduction of him, it stated that he grew up in a, he was born, let me get this right, he was born in a small town in southwest Virginia called Glade Spring. I nearly flipped out because, I mean, I had never met him, uh, and I knew nothing about him until that event. So I was sitting beside one of my professors, and she encouraged me because I was very shy back then, figured that out, huh? <laughs> Uh, and I can't go talk to this man who's worked with Kissinger and all these fans. My professor said, you need to go up there and introduce yourself to him uh, when the speech is over. I don't remember the speech much, but I remember him, the person. And when I mentioned the family that I belonged to, he knew of my mother and others in Glade Springs. So that just sealed my admiration for this particular guy. What is interesting, one of the things that's interesting about him is that some websites today say that he was born in Knoxville. He told us he was born in Glaze Break. He ought to know where he was born, right? (laughs) So what it was was, uh, and I found this in later years, maybe even this year, I can't remember when, his mom was born in Glade Spring. Mm-hmm. She left Glade Spring after she got old enough to be in high school. And back in the 20s, when she was of high school age, if you were black in this county, your schooling stopped at the seventh grade. Mm-hmm. So she left Glade Spring, went down to Marstown because there was a black junior high, junior college there that had a high school department. Mm. 
And so she went to Marstown for her high schooling. And there she met her husband, whose last name was Reinhardt. So when she realized that she was going to have a baby, she deliberately came back to Glazebring, moved into the house where she was born so that her son would be born in the same house. That was mm -hmm. a thing back then. I was born, as you may well know, in the house where my mother was born. So and where you live now. And where I live now, <laughs> exactly. So that's not a, 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 that was not a rare thing then. He went on to uh, graduate from Knoxville College in his hometown. Uh, he actually grew up in Knoxville. Uh, and from Knoxville, he, after he graduated college, he went into the uh, Army in World War II and so forth. And when he got out of the war, he uh, decided that he wanted to get more schooling. I could tell just by talking to him that he was a very smart person. Jerry, I wonder yeah. if at this point we should name him. Yes. <laughs> his name, his is... name was John Reinhardt. So I didn't mention his first name, and I should have. Yeah, and Thank he was you. born in 1920 and died in 2016. Yes, and so he's not been dead that long. I think he lived to be about 95 or something. After he got his doctorate from the University of Wisconsin, he briefly taught English at Virginia State. So in retrospect, that explains why he was there. He had once taught there. He probably had friends still on the faculty that he knew from the 1950s. Well, I want to talk about a few others. We'll sure. finish up, I guess, with his discussion by saying that he was indeed ambassador to Nigeria. Right. He was also assistant secretary of state for public affairs right. and director of the U.S. Information Agency. So he held some pretty significant positions indeed, in yeah. government. Right. and came from Glade Spring, Virginia. I, I want to talk about a few other people. One of them on your list is the former president of Emory & Henry College. What can you tell us about Dr. Covington? Dr. Covington, you may need to correct me on dates and whatnot, but I believe it's correct to say that in January of 2006, President Morris, who was the president uh, here at Emory back then, uh, was nominated for a job in Richmond with the then new governor. Yes, he became secretary of education okay, for the Okay, that's where I got you. And so the college uh, board and officials uh, decided Dr. Covington as the interim president. And he came on campus sometime in maybe January or early February of 06. I got to meet him the first day that he was on campus. Uh, he told some of the other officials that he wanted to meet the black faculty. Well, in 06, that was me. <laughs> that <laughs> well, was and that points to another reason why you're on this list, I believe, <laughs> because you are the longest serving African-American professor at Emory & Henry College. That, so far, yeah, that's true. Very true. Well, and you've also made a bit of history in this region because you are the author of a book called Go and Come Again, which is a book about segregation in Washington County. And I want to talk a little bit about that in the second half of our show. Sure. Um, but uh, one more person I'm hoping you can talk a little bit about is Bascom Waugh. Yes. What do you know about him? Bascom was my uncle. Uh, he was born in the house where I currently live. 
He was the third child born to my grandparents. And he has this interesting name and come to find out, I don't know that I knew it at early on, but I certainly know it now. He was named for then a one-time uh, congressman from the 9th District of uh, here in Virginia who was Bascom Slimp, S-L-E-M-P. Ironically, I was at uh, UVA Wise just yesterday giving a talk on black history. They have a building there named after this same Bascom Slimp. And when I found it out, I had to contact my cousin, who's Bascom Wall's uh, daughter, to tell her that I was going to a college that has a name that's almost like your daddy. <laughs> but Bascom, Uncle Bascom, uh, became a medical doctor. Uh, he was also uh, in World War II and did flights, surgery things. He was a Tuskegee Airman and all of that. But the main thing that struck my fancy way back when I was a kid and I first met him back in, oh, like 1960 or something, was the fact that he was able to get a medical degree and set up practice in a time when black doctors were rare and few in number and were discriminated against much as blacks in general were discriminated against in 1950. The story of he uh, trying to move into a uh, white neighborhood after he got his practice going in Camden was profiled in Ebony Magazine back in the 50s. And I was young, but I knew that that was a big deal. Yes, indeed. Jerry, I want to go to a break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about this list. I also want to talk about what you have been doing lately in the community, especially during Black History Month, to help spread the word about the history of African Americans in this region. You are listening to Together to Get There, the show dedicated to economic and community development in Southwest Virginia, and I am your host, Dirk Moore. You are also listening to WEHC 90.7, the voice of Southwest Virginia. WEHC is proud to celebrate Black History Month with facts about notable African Americans of Southwest Virginia. A speechwriter for Dr. Martin Luther King taught at Emory Henry College. This confidant to Dr. King was also an executive at Motown. Do you know who that was? The answer after this message. Support for WEHC comes from People Incorporated, believing that every person needs support from others. People Incorporated promotes the dignity of individuals and families, moves people into the economic mainstream, and works to develop existing strengths and resources within communities. For information about assistance with community development, education, employment training, family services, financial services, or housing, contact 276-623-9000 or peopleinc.net. All of the efforts of People Incorporated are directed by the concerns, hopes, needs, and dreams of the people served. 
Dr. Junius Griffin was public relations officer and speechwriter for Dr. Martin Luther King. After Dr. King's assassination, Griffin worked for Motown as vice president for public relations. He came to Emory & Henry College in the late 1990s as a scholar in residence. Join us in celebrating Black History Month at WEHC. Welcome back to Together to Get There. Today I am talking with Dr. Jerry Jones. He has recently compiled a long list of African Americans of distinction who are from Southwest Virginia. We've been talking about some of the people on that list and some of some of the compelling things that they have done. Jerry, you had mentioned before the break that you had recently been discussing African American history with a group of people at University of Virginia College at Wise. And I've been thinking since you made that remark, if you have had a lot of contact with young African-Americans, and and if so, in these discussions, and if so, what kind of questions do they ask? Well, these talks that I've done recently have not involved many African-Americans. It's just the nature of the people where I'm speaking, to whom I'm speaking, one of the talks that I did back in January, not for Black History, but it was for MLK, was at St. Thomas Episcopal Church uh, in Abingdon. Most of the attendees in the church that evening were white. Uh, One or two of them were folks that I knew. Uh, One was uh, even two of them, or two or three maybe, had gone to the black high school that I went to in Bristol, and they live here, and they live in Abingdon, so they came out. One was a minister, a black minister from the region, and that basically was it. Oh, yeah, and Jerry Hill, who is uh, of the Hill family that's all over Glacebring and so forth. But much of my contact with African-American students came when I was still on the faculty here at Emory because I taught, in addition to all of the computer classes, every fall I taught a course that was a seminar for first-year students. And I did that course, I guess, for 10 or more years, probably longer than anybody. And the topic of the course was racial identity in context. So that meant that any number of students over a 10-year period in that course were African-Americans from everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's nearby and so forth. And so I heard the things that they did not know through no fault of their own, simply because black history, local history in general, was just a afterthought by the time you do everything else that needs to be done in high schools and whatnot probably there's not time to say nothing about people who know the stuff and can talk about it uh, honestly and correctly. A lot of effort is being put into helping African-American students at Emory & Henry College these days find acceptance and uh, and feel comfortable in the region. Right. Do you recall in your discussions with young African-Americans that that is an issue that they have 
uh, feelings perhaps of discrimination in businesses and other places they go and with other people they encounter? I'm hearing it more now that I am not on the faculty than I ever did when I was teaching here and was not on faculty. And by the way, I've only been not teaching now just for a few months. My last uh, semester was spring of 2021. But uh, in context of that, I do have a relationship with a committee that is based sort of from the community, people that are interested in helping Emory and Henry to allay the fears that some students, especially those students who have come from distant places here and are of a minority persuasion, whether it be African-American, Asian, or whatever uh, minority status a person may have, to help them to feel more comfortable uh, in this region. I can't say that I remember students opening up to me when I was teaching here that they were concerned about out going out in the region, and I'll, I'll make this additional point to that. As you may know, back before pandemic, before COVID, uh, we had something at the beginning of every school uh, year in the fall. All first-year students did something called a service plunge. Mm -hmm. And what that service plunge was about was you went out into the community one day before the semester started and did some, did some type of volunteer work. So that meant under college supervision, countless number of freshmen over the years were in Abingdon, were in Glade Spring, they were in Chilhowee, Marion, and all these little towns around here doing something that was of a volunteer nature. And my particular class actually did two things in the community. I would have them at my church, Ebenezer United Methodist, built in 1880 by former slaves. They would do their uh, volunteer work in uh, August or whenever the semester started, and then they would come back in September for a thank you service at the church where I would invite guests to come and sing and just have a good time. So that's my experience with students in the community. Your experience, though, as you grew up, and, and it's detailed in your book, Go and Come Again, which deals with segregation in Washington County, doesn't seem to reflect a lot of trouble you might have experienced right. with discrimination. That is correct. And why is that, and why might things have changed since then? Well, one thing is that when I grew up in the 50s, blacks and whites had something in common, and that was that most of us were not very financially secure. I find it interesting that maybe not poverty, but let's say having to do without is an equalizer. Uh, if you don't have money and you're black, and if you don't have money and you're white, and you're living in Glade Spring in 1955, you have something to talk about because you have similar stories about trying to make things do. 
You also need to know that the street where I grew up in the 1950s, there were several houses on that street today. There may be only one or two, but back then it would be possible that there were as many as 10 houses on each lot there. Some were black and some were white. So there was a lot of camaraderie, if that's the word, uh, to describe my growing up there. We played together. Uh, we visited each other's houses. The only things we didn't do is that we didn't go to the same school. Yeah, and that's what you really highlight in your book is that while your life was integrated yes. with uh, white young people, yes. you were suddenly having to be segregated. Yeah. yeah, when it was time to go to school, white kids went in one direction and black kids went in the opposite direction. Exactly. That's a fascinating part of history in Southwest Virginia that we have you to thank for because I think that that story would not otherwise be told. Right. And I don't know that this story about prominent African Americans in Southwest Virginia would be told if you weren't doing the work that you are doing, Dr. Jerry Jones. I want to thank you for doing that work, and I want to thank you for being on the program today to talk about it. My pleasure. You have been listening to Dr. Jerry Jones. He is a former professor of Emory, at Emory and Henry College. He's also compiled recently a list of distinguished African-Americans from Southwest Virginia, and he is the author of a book about segregation in Washington County called Go and Come Again. And you are listening together to get there, the show dedicated to economic and community development in Southwest Virginia. And I'm your host, Dirk Moore, and you are listening to WEHC 90.7 the voice of Southwest Virginia. Thank you for listening.